0: Those of you that follow a liturgical calendar or know what that is um, might know that this is the first Sunday of Advent. You should know it because Mark said uh, at the beginning as well. Um, So the first Sunday of Advent is traditionally when Christians start a period of expectant waiting on God, remembering that more than 2,000 years ago the Word of God became flesh and walked about amongst us from the thrones of heaven to the stable in weakness jesus came to us in the form of a baby defenseless but through his relationship with god the father powerful beyond measure in his coming he says well uh, he shows as paul says in 2 corinthians that god's power is made perfect in weakness At Grace Vineyard, we're taking each of the weeks of Advent and taking time out to speak about some of the key parts of the Christmas story. At a time when our country is so divided, when churches are so divided, when Christians are so divided, it is important for us to take hold of the things that we have in common, to remember that Jesus came to one world to make one sacrifice, to build one church that serves one God. In Exodus 17, there's a story about Israel fighting a battle with Amalek. Before the start of the battle, Moses said that he would stand on the top of a hill with the staff of God in his hand, while the armies of Israel, led by Joshua, would fight the armies of Amalek. And we are told that whenever Moses raises his hand, holding the staff, the armies of Israel would prevail. But whenever he lowered his hands, the armies of Amalek would prevail. After a while, like many of us probably, Moses got understandably tired. And so a stone was put under him to sit on. And his companions on the hill, Aaron and Hur, each held up his hands, holding them up until the sun went down. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek's armies and the battle was won. I don't know about you, but to me, this is a very strange story that borders on the surreal. If you think about it, there was this great battle going on for hours and hours, and the thing that determined the victor was not strength or cunning of the combatants, but whether Moses was able to hold his arm up in the air. Um, Yeah, uh, and in the end, the battle was won by someone else holding up Moses' arms. I certainly haven't really exhibited, uh, kind of seen any fight or battle that ended this way. Um, but yeah, I, I, th- I think, to be honest, that it wasn't the fact that Moses held up his arms, it was what he was holding. This story in Exodus is where we learn the name Jehovah, Nisai, the Lord is my banner. It's the name of God that is perhaps most closely associated with hope. And in one place I saw it described as God on the battlefield. There may be those of you here today who feel like you're in a battle just as Moses was, and your arms are feeling so tired. But there's good news. You're among friends, friends who can hold up your arms until the battle is won. All you need to do is remember that the Lord is your banner, that God is on the battlefield. Father, I pray that you would speak to us today. As we look at your prophets, your prophecies, and your promises, you would help us to listen. That as we come towards Christmas, we would remember the baby lying in a manger who came to bring hope for all. If you've ever been to uh, a carol service, um, potentially you may hear it if you come to ours, um, you will probably remember these words go to the next slide comes from Isaiah for unto us a child is born unto us a son is given and the government will be upon his shoulders and he will be called wonderful counsellor mighty God everlasting father and prince of peace you find these words in the book of Isaiah one of the major prophets of of the Old Testament a prophet isn't really a title that gets used in the literal sense these days. In Old Testament times, it was the title of someone who would literally speak for God. When kings and nations would get into trouble that they couldn't explain, they would often consult a prophet. And the prophet would say what God intended for them. A prophet prophesies, which simply means to give a prophecy. And a prophecy is li- little more than God speaking to us about the future. And he does it for lots of different reasons. Sometimes God speaks to us to encourage us. To make known in advance the good things that he's going to do in our lives. So that before it happens we can have hope that it's coming. And when it does happen we can know that it did not happen by accident. But because he loves us and means good for us. One great example of this is in Jeremiah 29. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. And there are some times when God speaks to us to prepare us for something that's going to happen so that before it happens, we can make ourselves ready. And when it's happening, we can know that God is sovereign over the situation and that we shouldn't be worried because God is not unprepared. For example, in Acts 27, Paul is given a prophecy from God Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. When Paul's ship encountered a great storm, he remembered the word that he had received from God and made sure that all on board stayed on board and no lives were lost when they were shipwrecked. Sometimes God speaks to us words of caution to put us on our guard against those who mean ill for us. And in Matthew 7, beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but are inwardly our ravenous wolves. And there is another kind of prophecy, and that is the prophecy of judgment. There are times when, because of their unrepentant bad conduct, God warns of his impending judgment and wrath in the hope that they will change their ways. And if we look back at Isaiah 9, we read, But the people have not returned to him who struck them, nor have they sought the Lord Almighty. So the Lord will cut off Israel both head and tail, both palm branch and reed in a single day. The elders and dignitaries are the head, The prophets who teach lies are the tale. Those who guide this people mislead them. And those who are guided are led astray. Therefore the Lord will take no pleasure in young men. Nor will he pity the fatherless and the widows. For everyone is ungodly and wicked. Every mouth speaks folly. God speaks to us to encourage us. He speaks to us to prepare us. He speaks to us to caution us. He speaks to us to warn us. And every kind of prophetic word that comes from God is for our good. There is something very special about receiving an encouraging word that picks out something that we know no one else could know. Last week, Ray shared a word he received that placed him on a mountain, a moment that could only have been known to God. It makes us feel like We are not left to our own devices. That there isn't a moment that God is not watching over us, not clearing the path ahead of us, nor protecting the path behind. Yet, in this very suspicious and disbelieving world, it is easy to think that the prophetic is just a coincidence or perhaps a trick. There are people that would be unconvinced to seeing a magician guess their card. Believe it or not, this is not a new thing. All the way back in Egypt, there were magicians. Not that they did card tricks, but even the first few plagues of Egypt, they were able to replicate. And so Pharaoh believed that it was a trick. However, when the gnats and the flies came, even the magicians admitted it must be God, but Pharaoh hardened his heart. There is a moment... When we see God's works and realize that they are so fantastical and so beyond the wit, let alone the power of man, that we must either believe or blind ourselves to him. But why does God do this? Why, why tell people what he's going to do instead of just doing it? Well, God is so confident in his plans and his purposes that he has prepared everything in advance. He has had everything written down. He has provided that writing to his enemies. Every prophecy declares what God is going to do, and he has failed in none of it. Nothing has happened that has been a surprise to him, and nothing that has happened has changed what he is going to do. Or to put it another way, imagine playing a game of chess, And your opponent hands you a piece of paper. It has written on it every move that your opponent is ever going to make in the game. Now, just to put that in context, in terms of chess, there are 10 to the 121 possible games that can be played. That's one followed by 121 zeros. That's more than the estimated number of atoms in the known universe. There are some moves that are not possible because of the state of the board. So to plan every move in advance, you would have to know every move that your opponent was going to make and you would have to know every response your opponent was going to make to your move. The very idea really seems impossible and that's only a game with 32 pieces. How do we explain this? Well, in Isaiah 55, we get an answer. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Remember that time Jesus said, for man this is impossible, but nothing is impossible for God. This is what he was talking about. As human beings, we have a desire for mystery. We want a God of the impossible, Because we need a God who is greater than we, who can do what we can't. There are two basic fears of the Spirit. One is that God is not as powerful as he seems to be, and two, that he does not love us as much as he claims to. Prophecy is a way that God restores our wonder, that he reminds us that he is the almighty God for whom all things are possible. And just as he reveals his glory and encourages us with it, he enables us to encourage others through the giving of words from God by the power of the Holy Spirit. And to show us the depth of his love for us, he sent Jesus to earth. In Paul's words, in the likeness of sinful flesh, so that sin could be condemned in the flesh, and the righteous requirements of the law fulfilled. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. It hurts when the things we hope for don't happen, when it seems like they are so far off that they seem to be impossible. Maybe it's a phone call or visit from a friend or a relative you haven't spoken to in a long time. Maybe there's something you lost. It could even be a yearning for a time of your life that seems long past maybe you struggle to think that things could be good again maybe there's something you wish you could take back words you wish could be unspoken something you wish could be fixed it is in the hardest times that we need hope the reason for going on for soldiering on the verse from jeremiah 29 which speaks of god's plans for us come with a backdrop of god sending his people into exile It is natural for us to hope that the difficult moments in our life could be miraculously ended. That we wouldn't suffer the heartbreak of hope being deferred again and again. But even Jesus, the Son of God, wasn't spared the moments of heartbreak, the dejection and the rejection. Isaiah writes of him, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. but he was pierced for our transgressions he was crushed for our iniquities the punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed we are all like sheep and have gone astray each of us has turned to our own way the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all Jesus was human, and he had hopes and fears, just as we do. But he also had the spirit of understanding. He read the scriptures. He understood God's prophecies and promises, and he understood what he was called to do. Jesus understood all that would be accomplished from his time on earth. Hebrews tells us that for the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross, scorning its shame, Jesus was not longing for the pain and the suffering to be over, but for his obedience to the Father to be made known to all and his relationship with his creation to be restored. All those years ago, God spoke to many people to prepare their hearts for the coming of Jesus. He spoke to Mary, Do not be afraid, for you have found favour with God. do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. He spoke to shepherds Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour who is Christ the Lord and this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Advent is a time of waiting but it's also a time of preparation. Why don't we spend a few moments in quiet asking God to speak to us so that we would be truly ready to celebrate Jesus' coming this Christmas.